Hello and welcome to episode 142 of the Good Good Golf Podcast. Rod Murray at the controls as we zoom out to consider golf through a wider lens than just what happens on the course. In that context, this past weekend saw two important events for the professional game. The first women's major of the year moved venues and dates after 40 years in one place, while simultaneously in the men's game, the new kid on the block, Live Golf, came to Australia for an event that is being hailed a rousing success. So what does it all mean? In reality, it's probably too early to tell, but let's try to pick it apart anyway. Are you right? I'm just reorganising your studio here. Sydney Podcast Studios has undergone a radical refurbishment. Made some changes. Joining me in studio... (laughs) to undertake the task of picking this apart, which is where we were before you interrupted. Mm -hmm. Resident watch expert, left-field thinker Adrian Logue. Logue, some similarities between all this and watches. Lots of moving parts. Each part impacts multiple other parts, sometimes in ways that might not be initially obvious. It it does, yeah. You need to sort of engage your galaxy brain to understand what's going to happen when you make a move. And complexity and the simplistic arguments are the ones that are probably to be looked out for as we go along. Also in studio today, very much in the hot seat since he's playing the role of both guest and co-host, Golf Australia Magazine Deputy and Digital Editor Jimmy Emanuel. Jimmy, co-host for most of the discussion, but guest in the sense that you were our eyes and ears on the ground in Adelaide for the Live Golf Express, or should it be upgraded to Juggernaut? Let's start with that. Juggernaut? I don't know about <laughs> Juggernaut. Definitely success, I think, from their, their side, but I don't know about Juggernaut. Much, much, much bigger than anything else we've seen from Live so far. There was, Absolutely. You, you said beforehand last week there was a lot riding on this in yep. terms of Live and what this could do. Uh, yep. They would have certainly been happy with the result. What does it mean, though, in the bigger picture? I think we won't know what it means until a little bit down the track. Um, watch how this week they go in Singapore and see the comparison to what Australia was last week and watch how the PGA Tour responds, I suppose, in a little bit of time as well and see if they look at maybe other markets as a as an option for them as well. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it was always going to be well attended. We knew that from months out. When getting on the ground and how big the build was, the infrastructure and stuff, I've not seen a tournament like that. I mean, I said to some people there. President's Cup 2019? Bigger. No, really? Yeah, um, I'd say bigger than most, pretty much any tournament. Um, the Masters infrastructure is permanent. You know, it's buildings and stuff. It's not tents, so it's hard to hard to weigh against something like that. But it was enormous, and that was talking to guys. You know, I saw Australian tour players on the ground and a few other people who have a lot of experience as well, and we all sort of agreed on that. So, um, whether or not when they come back next year, it's exactly the same or not. We'll see as well. I mean, that's you can't just judge it off the one week. I mean, it's successful, no doubt. People came through. People were more attentive to it around the world, I'd say. But whether or not it's a, a complete shift in the storyline, I don't know yet. Mm. Big question, I suppose, is why, Logue? Why such a massively different response here in Australia than we've seen elsewhere? I think we know the answer to that. It's a combination of factors in Australia with Australians starved for top-level golf but also extremely supportive of big Big time sport when it comes to our country, Adelaide in particular hasn't has you know lost the Grand Prix some twenty a couple of, of <laughs> couple of decades yeah. ago, yeah. and really after a big event, it was always going to be a success bringing it to Adelaide. Um, yeah, it, it, there's a combination of factors that are unique and have all intersected on that event last week, and given live this opportunity where it's the best. It's the it's the opportunity to show the best version of live golf, which is interesting for us to evaluate. Because okay, is that if that's as good as it's going to get, you know, did we like it? And 
I think there's still some questions over the format and the quality of the golf um, in terms of a competitive tournament, uh, which Jimmy wrote about very well, I thought. Um, and, you know, we'll, we'll see. For them, commercially, it was a huge success. And But, you know, again, we're going to see that put to the test next, well, this week at Sentosa in Singapore mm-hmm. and whether that can continue on. So, uh, yeah, it raises a lot of questions, answered a few questions. But, um, yeah, it's, it's interesting. I think I think the the thing is we know what exactly you said we know why Australia hasn't had a collection of that bigger names ever, and there were some names in there that are the biggest names in golf who've never played tournaments here. Um, Phil Mickelson's played a few Presidents Cups, but never anything else. Brooks Kepka had never set foot in the country till last week. Dustin Johnson played one Australian Open. You know these are the the biggest names in golf that sort of even transcend a little bit beyond golf. Some of them, so they were always going to get people to watch that. Adelaide hasn't had a big men's tournament in, I cannot remember how long. 98. In 98 was the Australian, Australian Open, yeah. yeah. So At tip Greg Chalmers. Yes. Mm. They two. did have a nationwide tour event at one stage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, they did. But they hadn't had a big men's event for a long time. They'd lost the women's event. You know, that you mentioned the Grand Prix. I, I saw something the other day that, that one of the last Adelaide Grand Prix was the most attended ever around the world, I think. Like, it was the biggest crowd they ever got for a Grand Prix. The week before, they had AFLs gather around, and people just turned out to watch every single team that's not from South Australia. I mean, two terrible teams could play each other, and they had sellout crowds. Like, South Australians go to go to sport. Um, but the model that made it that, you know, whatever you think of it, the, the party and the drinking and all that sort of stuff. You know, I, I joked with someone the other day that they said, is that the model they're going to take everywhere? I said, well, they're not going to take that model to Saudi Arabia when they play the, world, <laughs> the team final at Jeddah. So... Or even Singapore, to be fair, or in many other places. Many other places, you know. So, but, you know, they also had a better golf course. They've been playing some fair dinkum goat tracks. Frank, crook shade at Crooked Cat. Crooked Cat, yes. I'm throwing some shade at Crooked Cat. <laughs> and they're heather. And, you know, they played a decent golf course that intrigued people who probably hadn't been that intrigued by the concept to date. Um, probably could have been a little bit more difficult for them, but... It, it had all these elements, but all these elements to work for that week. It's not this cut-and-paste model they've now got to take elsewhere. Um, so I think... That's the live model going forward. Should tailor the tournament to the market that you're going to. So well, that would be smart, wouldn't That'd it? That would be really good. That yeah. would be exceptionally smart from any tour. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, but to see this as a success, it wasn't a surprise, but what it means for them and their strategy moving forward, I'm not sure. Mm. Anybody added up the, appearance, the potential appearance fees in the field? From last week? I, I haven't, but I think you have. Haven't I you? haven't added it up, but I've, it's <laughs> got to be, okay, let's say Cam Smith, not in Australia, he wouldn't be charging, but Cam Smith's got to be a million-dollar appearance fee, yeah. generally speaking, wouldn't yeah, he? Oh, yeah. Let's say he charged 500000 to play in Australia. Leishman would probably be asking for not a whole lot less, maybe half. Uh, um, some of the American guys, Dustin's probably a one, one to one and a half million dollars if yep. he wanted him to play the Australian Open. Mickelson, He's he wouldn't come multi- to Australia for less than $3 million. Yeah, that's right. He might play elsewhere for less, but he's not going to come to Australia for less than $3 yep. Kepka. Somewhere in that one to one and a half yep. million four time major winner. Yep. So already Shambo, you're getting yep. up there. Reed, Stenson, Reed Patrick Reed, yep. Westwood. Yeah. Yep. So commercially, for anybody else to have put this tournament on here would be impossible. impossible. Correct. Or close to. Correct. So I think one of the dangers from fans is some of the fans that I've read. In fact, I'll, I'll read a quick thing to for a guy who sent me after I'd wrote a column about this last week. I wasn't bagging Live Golf or the tournament anyway, but. Uh, I mentioned in there there was a lot of anti-PGA Tour sentiment, which I've always felt was part of the 
It's just yeah, I, I might be wrong about that. that. It was a in the mix, was, right? It was just yeah, I don't think it's one the of those factors reason, that yeah. brought people to the tournament, but a probably pretty minor factor. So Carlo wrote to me, I volunteered to work at the Live event, the event with no history and a limited field, which is what I'd wrote. And said limited field included six Masters champions, seven other major champions, several Ryder Cup heroes. Would we ever have seen such a field in Australia without Live Golf? The week was awesome, a truly exhilarating experience. Seeing the quality of golf played on a course in pristine condition was worth every penny. I cannot wait for next year. Long live golf. That's probably a fairly common take. I know who Carlo is on Twitter, and he loves golf. He's yeah, a absolutely. genuinely golf lover, which is interesting to get that take yeah. from a guy I'm sorry, like that. it started by saying, Horror, I love golf. I'm not anti-PGA Tour, but I am disappointed that their wraparound tour diminished as today as summer yep. of golf by reducing the attendance of leading wealth players. South Africa may say the same. There are issues about that take, isn't there? PGA Tour certainly contributed to Australia's they are best not, full They schedule. do not hold the full responsibility. Not by any stretch. The tour that we now co-sanction with played a part in it too. Well, just the Europe, cost Europe, of world uh, golf. Europe played it. events in South Africa opposite Australian sure. Opens. Um, the tour here made some decisions probably that looking back they know might have hurt them, but they're now fighting back in a, in a positive way as to what they're trying to do. But um, the Asian tour would play events opposite our events as well. Like Didn't Tiger really ruined golf for Australia? The, the, the real problem for us is that being on the other side of the world, you need to pay players to lure them here. Yeah. Once Tiger emerged on the golf scene, the cost to pay players to come here tripled. Yeah. Almost overnight. We just got priced out of the market. Mm. The model in Australia, as Logan and I were just discussing before you arrived, Jimmy, the the model for the Australian, I I think it's one that does work for fans, even though we've all probably been critical of it, is the notion you get one or two big stars, pay them some money, they come and play the Australian Open, and everybody's happy with that. And uh, there's other elements to that. All of the best Australian players have to come back. That's right. That's so that. that, Yeah, I was was on another podcast the other day. You what? Yeah, I'm a big busy man. Yeah. The 19th, seeing other podcasts. Okay, just, just saying it right uh, out in front. Uh, and we were discussing that and about this idea of, you know, Australian Opens and getting all of our players. I said, well, if we think we've had it bad, look at South Africa. The South African Open. Look at Mexican Open. <laughs> South African Open, they can't get, not even, not all of their big names. They get one maybe. They don't get any, you've, I don't think there's ever been an event in South Africa I can remember that, say, Schwartzel, Ustaz and Grace, um, you know, go through those guys and then you get the older guys like your Ernie's and Goosens and all that sort of stuff in one place. The only one they used to get it for was the Ned Bank, which yeah. was, again, huge yeah. dollars paid up front and all that sort of stuff. You think Gary Player would jump on that? An opportunity to win, even be the first golfer and set another record. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> winning and on the, the regular Open tour is in a, his age is a tournament not without tradition and history too. It's not it's almost much. as old as it's the exactly, Australian. There's only a yeah. year in it between yeah. Australian and South. And uh, South Africa is a country with a huge golf history. Yeah. Um, which is when people start then to talk about, oh, we'll have another live event here next year. I'd say they'd be going to somewhere like South Africa pretty quickly. Well, will they? I mean, you can see that the live business model seems to be they they know it. The money for golf is in America, for men's golf. Correct. Is in America. You have to conquer America if you want to make it a viable business deal. Yeah. And that's really their problem. You can take it to as many Adelaides as you like and have as many successful uh, Adelaide tournaments as you like, but conquering Adelaide is not going to repay what's been spent to set up the tour, nor is it going to finance it on a week-to-week or month-to-month basis. They've got to crack that American market, don't they? Yeah, well, that's uh, talking with someone the other day, and they said, oh, well, but where's their target? Like, where are they trying – and it's America. It's it's so clearly America. So they need – For good reason. For good reason. uh, Absolutely. And so they need it to be a success there. Now, Adelaide crowd's amazing. Visually, it's spectacular for them. Players talk about how good it is. 
the time of day for the majority of Americans to watch it on TV, they weren't watching it. No. Mm. Like, it, it's, we talk about it here that you wake up to watch the majors and stuff. It was in a worse time slot than that. Yeah. So, commercially, if it's that's where they- for us, isn't yeah, it? Which is terrible right. to watch. Yeah. <laughs> if they're trying to build towards a commercial model, it doesn't work that way. And, um, you know, and, and this idea that we're going to get two or, some, or more events inside of a year, uniquely for Live- which I don't think had been happening with a lot of their events last year, the South Australian government paid to have them here. They would have actually made some return. This so, paid multiple millions of dollars to have them come here. Now, the golf course gets paid a significant amount too, and I've heard rough guesses about where that is, and that number's high. I don't know if the government paid that or if Live Golf paid that in this occasion. So, Peter Malinaskis is paying a lot of money to have people come to Adelaide. So there was a lot of South Australians there, but there was a lot of domestic tourism, inbound tourism. That's why he pays for it. You know, if you, That's why you have events. I had dinner with um, Tourism South Australia one night as part of the week, and they were talking about gather round and this and the amount of people and all this sort of stuff. They, If you owned a hotel, pub, restaurant in Adelaide in the last two weeks, you'd be getting a statue of the Premier put up. Like, they have been that busy. He's not going to let... Live Golf go, oh, by the way, we're going to play one in Brisbane and we're going to play one in Sydney the week before and the week after without kicking up a stink. And he's got a two-year deal with an option for two more, I believe it is. I'm sure there's some exclusivity in that deal. Oh, there always is. There has to be. That we talk, to be. We've, you've, forever people have talked about when guys used to play just the Australian Open, not the Australian PGA or not the Australian mm-hmm. Masters. The Jordan Spieth example from years ago is a great one. There's exclusivity written into these things and, and with good reason by state governments. These are not people just... That's right. You want to see Jordan Spieth? Come to Sydney. Yeah. Spend some money and stay here for the week. And so then the argument to me, put to me last week by someone who said, you know, they'd heard this and that and whatever. And Golf New South Wales, there's a story Adam Pengilly wrote about putting their hand up effectively to have an event. A live golf event. You know. A live golf event. The the people put to me was, well, this live golf's got this unending pile of cash. They could buy their way out of the deal with South Australia. They're not going to keep just adding more costs on top. They have clearly reduced some of the costs this year, and they're aiming to reduce them more. The teams are responsible for their own in-house stuff and to make their own money and to spend their own money. They don't want to keep spending and spending and spending because it's pointless to everybody. No. Um, PIO for funding a lot of that for the teams, aren't they? But not all of it. Yeah, it's, it's – And that's going to cut off – Discussions quickly. with it, you get – with everything with Live Golf, you get a little bit of information, but you get a lot of – cloud around it and nothing's particularly um, transparent, I suppose, about that stuff. I think the payoff is is still going to be selling the teams, isn't it? Absolutely. It's It's the only only thing about the business model that makes any sense. Otherwise, it's just the same. Trying to turn a profit on these week-to-week tournaments isn't isn't the answer. No, No, I mean, last week- Although they're trying to stretch the dollar a little bit. Last week, they would have made some really decent money. I mean, so we spoke to Mark Leishman on the Sunday and Rupert GC- They'd had 19,000 caps delivered before the tournament. And in amongst an internal discussion, they said, we're going to need more. Sounds like not nearly enough. And they sent a couple more thousand into 20s or whatever. And there was barely any left come Sunday afternoon. Leishman Lager ran out with about a hole to play on the Sunday in stocks. That's just perfect. Um, yeah, so <laughs> you know, on a thousand cases of Leishman Lager yeah, left so at like the Grange, all of these numbers suggest that there's been some serious money made last week. Um, but would it have touched the 130 million Cam got to sign with Ripper no. GC? <laughs> this, is, this is the thing you're but that, right, but about that's the that. thing you you yeah. you factor in the player payment. Yeah, that's right. How much I I 
sort of spitballed around the idea, and I'm sure you two are very familiar with the DJ Fisher who played on Friday. No? Quietness? There we go. So the DJ... When you say DJ, I think of Dustin. <laughs> I think you probably think of David Jones. But they... So Fisher is an Australian DJ who played on Friday night, right? He DJs was, play? Yes. A DJ plays a set. They play instruments or no, they, they just did the record? Yeah, they, so they yeah. take other people's It's called playing. And you call no, it playing. Okay. Okay. Isn't there a big controversy in the DJing world about like faking it? Oh, yeah. Absolutely there is. Yeah. But he is. Do you want to get into that? No, no. Okay, right. But so he is one of the most recognized DJs in the world. He was playing Coachella the week of Live Golf Adelaide, the biggest music festival in the world. He flew to Adelaide to play the Friday night and flew back to play Coachella and headline the Sunday. Just out of the goodness of his heart. Well, have a, <laughs> you, what would he have been paid to do that? Number one, he ain't paying for his own flights and however, whatever sort of the plane was. I'd be surprised if he was flying. I don't think he was sitting in 36D. <laughs> Like so, so, they've got a jet, don't they? Live golf. They would have sent a plane for so, him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or Norman would have said his. A plane or... would have gone to get him and yeah. drop him back and all that. Plus, whatever <laughs> the payment up front was, yeah, you know, like you add that in, and then you've got the next night another band played, and then the next night another band played. Now people then hung around. They did that very well. People hung around in the fan village and spent more money and all that sort of stuff. But then Bert Kreischer shows up on Sunday, who's the American comedian who took your shirt off and all this. He was playing a gig on the Sunday night and all the players went along. Um, but to come out and do an appearance like that, he's a major, major comedian. That costs money, you know. So for all of this, we, it was such a success. We made money. Did he have, have golf a, material? He hit a golf ball on okay. the 12th, oh. which was in my story. I'm sure you read it. But he- Not all of it, clearly. Clearly. <laughs> but all those things cost more money and add up. And so you go, oh, yeah, we had such a successful week. But all these little things just keep ticking up the dollars. But the, to the point of selling the teams, I, I think when we had Kari Webb on last week, she hit the nail on the head. There's enough eccentric billionaires out mm. there who might buy it. I think Live in the early days wanted to pitch the teams to corporations- which I think is a mistake because given the controversy that surrounds it, brands are very you know, adverse to risk and controversy these days. So you need to just tie into the guy, kind of guys who own NBA teams. You Mark Cubans and Donald Sterling, who used to own the Clippers, who was then unceremoniously thrown out, which is guys with crazy amounts of money who bought a team to never athletic in their life, but they've got a connection with a team. Mm. Maybe they actually need to sell the league, but retain an interest in it first, just to give, just to distance it from themselves. Because that, that's what happened with F one. I think it was, they can't possibly it was make the money eight, back, could they? It was about eight years ago, but maintain Some an interest league. in it, like a majority interest, like maybe even going, like they do with Twitter and yeah. Uber and all that sort of stuff. I, I, F one got completely sold, but it, to some private equity, I think. It was, yep. But um, FIA got sold like, I don't know, eight years ago or something. Yeah, something and that, like that. that's right about when it exploded and yep. it started. But maybe maybe they do something like that just to distance themselves a little bit from it, makes it more palatable and you can attract a bigger price for the teams. Well, uh, the thing with these teams is we were talking about it last week, Adam Pengilly and I quite a lot. They would ideally, but there's obviously issues around copyrights and around all sorts of things. Ripper GC should be called Team Australia. Mm. But yeah. they obviously can't. 
I mean, they, the logo is supposed to be a Southern Cross, but it's made out of chevrons. They can't even use the stars, from what I understand. Like it's really well. I don't know, but it's, why can't they use this? I don't know. Trademarked in any way? You yeah. Well, that's yeah. A, uh, I, so I don't see why they wouldn't. Was there a sovereign entity themselves? Perhaps, perhaps. can one country use the flag uh, of another country? Yeah. Is I don't perhaps not. Uh, perhaps not. Because that's what know. some of the issues around the court case in America are about the PIF being a sovereign entity. They, Correct. Yeah, yeah. They, they want it both ways. They want to claim that because they're a, a, a sovereign entity that they can't be forced to do things that others might, but at the same time they want to behave like a corporation. Corporation, that's right. Uh, within the market. So. so these teams, the value of them, I mean, the merchandise value of Ripper GC in Australia is huge because they sell all the stuff and whatever. They they have a company that's making all the clothes for these, comp- these teams, but then – Cam Smith is the captain, the most marketable member. He doesn't wear the clothes, doesn't wear the hat. Can't wear them. Can't wear them. He's got a must-wear clothing deal and a Titleist club and hat deal. So the value of it isn't there for anyone to buy it at this current point because the guy you need to be decked out in your stuff and whatever, you can't wear it. And then outside of the Adelaide week, that team's value is greatly reduced, you know. Cam's popular, but when you go to, you know, Chicago, the Ripper GC merchandise ain't going to move that well because mm. the logo is not amazing and mm. the team branding it's no is no fireballs. It's no cleats. <laughs> Surely that's all <laughs> got to change. This is your area. Like, surely all of those names and the logos, I mean, they, they, they feel like some kind of a joke. It's very hard to – it doesn't tap into anything fundamental with people really, does it? Cliques, you know, fireballs or something. It's a makeshift, it's not, surely, isn't it? it? It's not – like Team Australia at least would be, you know, nationalistic or a little bit jingoistic or territorial, you know. Um, but in the same way as like Callaway or, you know, Foot or Titleist or something is, is territorial as well. People – I genuinely think people align themselves. You're a bit sceptical about this, but I, I think something like that Titleist sponsorship for No Laying Up – is extremely maybe the most valuable sponsorship in golf right now, and I think people genuinely align themselves with the brand because the oh, favourite no golf media oh, organisation. Oh, that's the bit I'm sceptical about. There's no question people align themselves with brands, but how much influence? I, I, it's growing. I think it's growing. I think it's there. Yeah, I'm not I sure. think it's absolutely. That's, that's a that's an industry wide move is to go to influencer yeah. type marketing rather than leadership yeah. on tour. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And and I think if the teams did that, if you could somehow organise this thing so it was not distasteful for Titleist or Callaway to actually have a team and TaylorMade to have a team, TaylorMade try and do it themselves anyway with their their troop of players that they, team TaylorMade. Yeah, they literally call it team TaylorMade, yeah. and they they wheel them out every now and then for one of those really awkward videos and contrived yeah, yeah, sort yeah, of yeah, matey yeah. things that they have. Um, but yeah, it, it just that to me would be very successful. Um, but all, it's, I mean, again, it's just exactly like F1, where some of them are brands, some of them are loosely nationally affiliated type yep. of things, like Alpine and stuff. It's yeah, that'll, that'll work. So, an American billionaire would own the Australian team. Is that how? Um, branding and don't confuse branding and ownership. Mm. I think. I think the I think the branding stuff. You know, you talk about companies by quite clearly they're very adverse to being involved visually at this stage if i went i walked around and looked at you know i got an equipment background and looked at what was going on in the equipment side very few live golfers have any uh, overt equipment deals still in place yeah okay very so very they're just using few. what they want to use at the moment well a lot of them still use the brands they always yeah. use and are clearly still getting 
clubs and stuff, but the hat is always the telltale yeah. sign and a company doesn't want to deal without a hat. That's just how it works. The guys wearing equipment company branded hats are Dustin Johnson, Cameron Smith, maybe... They chased yeah, Dustin oh, Johnson. Sorry, yeah, uh, Taylor Gooch has a Callaway logo on the side of his hat. There's about Cautious, it. Aren't they? There's a couple with ping on the side who have been lifelong ping players. Maybe Mito Pereira might still have a, a ping hat. I can't remember. Um, clearly, so Mark Leishman was a Callaway player since 2017. I want to say heavily featured in their marketing and stuff like that. Leish has still got a bag full of Callaway gear. Leish is still wearing Callaway shoes. He doesn't have Callaway on his hat. He's got a doesn't have a Callaway bag, so it's not you know. Cam and DJ are standouts in terms of marketing. You want those two guys. They're going to be contending at major championships, and you want them. Uh, Brooks Kepka is one who still has a deal as well, but doesn't have a hat deal with Shrixen. So he's got a Shrixen bag, but he's decked out in Nike again. So Dustin Johnson's no longer with Adidas, so he's now wearing the clothes of the Four Aces, and they've got a clothing brand making it that is making all the clothes for Live. Um, who knows who owns this clothing brand? It's, I've never heard of it till last week, but he's got the different hat on too. So the value and the branding of these teams doesn't exist on the best players. The four aces who are... The team. The team. Someone told me last week, the Yankees, please. Um, okay. <laughs> they've got... So you've got Patrick Reed, Dustin Johnson, Pat Perez, and Peter Yulheim. Peter Yulheim's another one with an equipment company sponsorship for obvious reasons. They get up to do their press conference on Sunday. Peter Yulheim's in a Titleist hat. Pat Perez is in a Golf Saudi hat. Dustin Johnson's in a TaylorMade hat. And Patrick Reed's in a Four Aces hat. So the most valuable team from the outside looking in... Is a mess. Is a mess in terms of branding. Like, uh, how are you going to... Will that sort itself out, though? Assuming that it continues, you would assume that that will sort itself out over a couple of years. All of those deals will be for a couple of years. Cam's yeah, deal with Titleist and his deal with Munsing, wherever it is. That, that'll run out at some point. And if they thought there was enough value, they could probably buy those contracts out, perhaps. Who knows? But, but that's, the, that's the thing, that they haven't thought that yet. So mm-hmm. they're hedging their bets a little bit, going, well, Cam gets X number of dollars from these companies. Is it worth us buying those yet? Maybe in light of pay them out and pay that money then to Cam correct. as well. So you're, yeah, you're double, double dipping. Um, which is, you know, it's very tiered in terms of the players as to who gets what and whatever. And the teams are owned by the captains effectively to a percentage. Um, I believe some share it round, some keep it to themselves. Um, that's why the Majestics, which is uh, Poulter, Westwood, Stenson, Horsfield has three co-captains because the three older guys have all got the share of it. So, I prefer Majestics. Oh, do you? Yeah. Okay. But you say apparel. You so, play apparel. Who's, who's giving you the... You, you just, apparently you with baristas barista for, a, for a lawyer. <laughs> so, so, uh, so there you go. I, I, one of the most interesting things I can recall was a State of the Game episode we did, I think it was last year with Joe Ogilvy, who just casually dropped in conversation that uh, this was his quote. I know several billionaires who'd be interested in owning a team. Yeah. I, I know several billionaires is stunning enough. Nice but that would be Joe. interesting, interested in owning a team just as part of some business yeah, for sure. game they play against each other. So I do uh, – I've always thought the team sort of aspect has legs, but it doesn't feel like Liv's got their handle on what it's going to be yet. The format's still a problem too. Because the teams are for sale, aren't they, technically? A billion dollars? Is that what the, oh, the deal? Oh, I, I, I don't know or officially or that they're out there. Everything's for sale, right? Oh, I, know that, for sale. But I'm pretty, I, I thought that there was – 
officially the teams were for sale. If you want uh, to buy a team, you could go and negotiate and buy a team. Yeah, I'm sure okay. you can. But I'm I, sure I you can. I don't think they've issued a press release to that effect or anything. Mm. Yeah, interesting stuff. Yeah, I, I think there is people who will have interest in doing that. But they, the longer it goes on with the way the branding is currently, I feel like the value doesn't grow. No. Mm. Um, because the way that the names and the logos and all this stuff that is a, com- a constant form of, you know, humor, I think, for other people outside of it, as long as that happens, you don't grow anything like that. And, yeah, you can't turn a, a brand new franchise into a historic franchise like the New York Yankees and stuff like that, but you can set it at a good base rate. If someone comes in and buys it, they're going to want to, if they're a billionaire who's very smart, obviously, to make a lot of money, they're going to want to rebrand it in their own way and do that sort of stuff. But if it goes on down the track and they won't they won't see as much value mm. um, and the formatting and stuff is part of the problem. I mean, if you if you sold one team to a corporation who wants to use it as a marketing tool, say they want to name it after themselves, let's call it the, you know, team good, good podcast okay, team. Yeah, sure. So you've got all these teams, cliques, fireballs, four aces and good, good podcast team. It doesn't, you can't have one and not the rest. I think that it, that mix is going to be even weirder. Ah. Who's, who's in good, good? Who are we? Who are we taking for good? Oh, good, good oh. Uh, Patrick Reed. Yeah. Oh, uh, I, I want you know just the players who's going to cause a bit of friction and okay. controversy. Well, if you want that, you want two Pat, Pat, Pat Perez, 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 um, Perez and Reed. No, I draw the line. Pat, there's, I don't know there's where the line, line is, but <laughs> he's, the he's over the other side. Uh, yes. well, that's my, well, that's my nomination, Patrick Reed. We, oh, that's, you, that's you it. Have a pick. That's it. We get one pick each. Okay. Um, already there's going to be friction in management because I'm going with Perez. Okay. Oh, oh, wow. <laughs> Management's already falling out. Um, I'll take DeChambeau if we want controversy. Oh, yeah. Good call. Yeah. Good call. We want good golf as well, though. Yeah. Well, <laughs> that's Perez and DeChambeau. Uh, let's move on okay. from that. Overall, Jimmy, um, what do we take from Live Adelaide? It's, it feels like this particularly has proved Live has some merit. Yep. That there's markets where it's. I, I felt there's a place for it in golf, even. Like with yeah, the, probably. That format. With the entertainment Probably. value of it. Can it sustain itself? If it was like that every week, there'd be a place for it. If it was like that every week, there'd be a Every week that it played, yeah. not every week. Yeah, yeah. Every week that it played, like there'd be a place for 40. it. There's a place for that. Yeah. So it's, got, it's proved it's got some merit, but on multiple fronts, there's issues to be sorted, aren't there? There's there's lots to yet be sorted out. They, it feels like they need to go for at least another two or three years to really sort all of that out. Absolutely. Yep. I mean, that was, that was Peter Yulheim's point on Sunday, and it was very well said and very well articulated okay. how he went around. Yeah, he said, guys, this is our 12th event we've had. To get to this level in 12 events is quite impressive. And it is. The flip it side is, is, of course, they've had extraordinary resources to correct. do it as well. And that's the thing that it's he's not going to say, and they're week. not going to say, is that, yeah, we only got here, we got here in 12 events. Can you imagine, you know, twelve the 12th event on the PGA Tour? Yeah, well, can you imagine you got every single, you know, dollar you could and did this? You know, it's a different situation. But it's not going to play itself out for a couple of, it's got to play a couple of years to get where exactly and work through some issues and everything like that. Um, you know, I, I was speaking to to Mike Clayton on the phone during the week and he said everyone's come out to see these guys they haven't seen before which is very accurate it's the same 48 players that play every week so are they going to come out next year and the year after to see the exact same 48 players probably yeah I think that's a but that's that's an attraction of it for sure but you have to 
you have to then look at your rotation through of new players and stuff. Promotion Lee Westwood turned 50 on Monday. Yeah, that's right. Phil Mickelson will be 53 by the time they, they come next year. They pretty good. But oh, absolutely. But I, Phil looked, in person, looked in magnificent shape. And Lee Westwood's in great nick yeah. too. Like, But how long do they want to keep doing it for with all this money? You know, Lee Westwood, his initial contract's probably three years or something like that. Once he's done with that and they come back to him and say, we're going to reduce your offer now on this, does he go, I want to keep playing 14 weeks a year all around the world? Maybe not. So you've got to then find someone who replaces that. Lee Westwood's got a little bit of that value. People want to go and watch him. And so, you know. The problem with the players too, isn't there, and the travel schedule. So when when Live initially launched, it was all about how I wanted to play less golf and do less travel and the rest of it (laughs) now morphed into they're doing Australia and Singapore back-to-back. DJ would never have done that, I can imagine. And Uh, two weeks after the Masters. This isn't the schedule they would choose. None of these players would have. And at some point, you've got to think one of them's going to say, you know what? I don't like the schedule. I love that go- pro golfers are finally getting told where to yeah, play. Yeah, told where to play. That is, yeah. There, Very there was quite ball. funny on the Wednesday, the press conference that was Kepka, Johnson, and DeChambeau. And someone said, you know, how big can this get? And one of them said, oh, it can be as big as it wants to be, you know. And they said, oh, well, what about, like, how big can it get with player numbers and teams? And they said, well, not really much bigger than what we've got. If no. we're going to play shotgun starts, you can maybe add two more teams. That's it. Um and then someone said, what about events? You know, do you want to play more events? And Kepka and Johnson very quickly said, no. <laughs> no. Yeah. <laughs> like, because they're playing 14 events. Plus four majors. Plus four majors. Yeah. If they can qualify for the Ryder Cup, that's, yeah. you know, they're getting to bigger schedules than they ever play. That's right. So they don't want to play more. They don't want to travel more. And that's, right now they've got to play some Asian tour events as well. Yeah. Well, the, maybe not those guys. Not those they're, guys. They're but, exempt for majors. But, but yeah, it's, it yeah. becomes this... You know, it started with eight events last year, and suddenly it went to 14. Um, well, the initial one was 10, wasn't it? The initial idea was, that 10. was 10. They started yeah. out, they were going to yeah. do 10, yeah. but then they went to 14. Which is to the point of, to Logue, that is there is a place for it in that limited mm-hmm. form. But that was my argument about what it's become and this argument about the word exhibition that somehow people hate, and you can't use that word, which makes no sense to me. But as a... Limited week exhibition of golf. It is an exhibition of golf, but in this atmosphere that was Adelaide last week, played in a quiet period of the PGA Tour with all the best players in the world and the teams where there's value in them, it's got this huge place and people would love it. And you take it to the underserved yeah. markets. They, Those guys that are a part of it will probably play less PGA Tour events than they would have and all that sort of thing, but that's okay. But then because that was probably what they wanted to do, but we don't know because, you know, Norman and the Saudis and whatever will never say, yeah, that's what we wanted. They'll say, oh, we're just trying to play along. If they had that, it's fine. What's happened, they get banned. They can't play anywhere else. So the players say to them, hey, we need this to be competitive golf to keep us sharp to play other events. And, hey, this needs to be serious so we can get world ranking points so that we can get into majors. So it's had to shift what it is. Wants to have its cake and eat it. Correct. And that's where it is in this awkward situation with the format and things like that. And even with the players who are trying to buy into the atmosphere, but also trying to play good golf and trying to win. And it's, I think it's confusing because, yeah, as the players, they want to beat each other. Of course they do. No, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> that's true of them all the time, isn't it? Yeah. Mm. It doesn't at also then just make more just how big a mistake the PGA Tour made. You're not, they had the option to not jump talking onto this product. Yeah. And they could have made it work really easily, yeah. really work well, yeah. and done nothing but good things for their own product. But they just Absolutely. completely missed the boat. Yeah, although 
good things come from competition and the pitch and I I wonder what that alternate world would look like. I would have preferred that alternate world. I would have preferred a better disruptor than Live Golf um, because it, it's a bit of a clown show at times. Like the commentary and stuff, we haven't even gotten into that. Yeah. But even with the best version of it last Yellow week. Yellow line, isn't it? We've, got, it a, we've still, got a terrible existing product and a shit still, disruptor. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it was all so over the top, the commentary and stuff. like That, that need to always pump up every this toxic positivity that comes with it. It's like this toxic positivity. Everything's dialed up. It's like, this is the best ever. It's like, oh, if just you don't like chill it, you're a, a communist. Little bit. Was that yeah. Parody's line? Yeah. Just chill a little bit. But anyway, that, that said, so Liv and PGA Tour are in competition now and d- European Tour and Asian Tour are in competition now. And it's going to be interesting to see what comes out of the crucible of all of that competition. If the PGA Tour had just rolled over everything mm. – with its monopoly and had nothing dictating the shape that it took. Yeah, good point. Um, then I wonder what that would look like. It would be, be a, another 14 tournaments in America. Yeah, it'd be a lot of... <laughs> Correct. There'd be WGCs all over. Yeah, again. exactly. It'd be a lot of criticism. Yeah, that's true. At it, I think. So. Yeah. yeah, I think Yeah, I think that's absolutely correct. That's the, the alternate universe sounds really, really good, but, you know, a lot of, to go back to that anti-PJ tour sentiment, a lot of the interest last week came with this idea of people who were there and people in roles that maybe shouldn't publicise how much they don't like certain things, but talking about basically FU, the PJ Tour, that's why. So they it's built the way it's happened and the controversy around it and that you like one or the other, which is ridiculous, is built that momentum and that and that positivity you know if if that alternate universe there's a pgl and one of the events is in australia it would have been well attended sure a lot of people would have been into it but probably wouldn't have had as strong a like drive for it i don't think nothing's as uh, nothing drives things like division does it state of origins the biggest exactly football right. matches exactly right the, it's us have. versus them and it's you know it's a in it's an interesting thing that i think live golf is trying to dial that down a little bit internally um, but they realized that last week that that was a lot of the reason they had a lot of this support. You know, when Dustin Johnson was asked about how Jay Monaghan would feel watching it and was very clearly being diplomatic and Pat Perez jumped in with a very <laughs> quotable response, uh, that was quickly gone from the transcripts and stuff like that. They Live Golf are actively trying to quell that stuff, which it makes sense. I mean, they, it's ex- it's they realize they can't keep yeah. being on their own. It's expensive to pamper 48 golfers, particularly the top 10 or 12 on that roster, yeah. and just keep pampering them and not get much in return. They, they need a peace deal, you would think, more than the PGA Tour does, which is the PGA Tour strategy, clearly, is to wait oh, them cl- out. Clearly, the PGA Tour is a war wait of attrition. You know, just sit there and just wait them out, and we've got, you know, they've got heaps of money, but they're not going to keep spending it, and they'll be no, watching that qu- closely. And uh, Also, like, just look at... What a clown show the PGA Tour is this week in Mexico. Yeah. Like, what a terrible field that is. And shoddy treatment of a national open. And it's just the whole thing is just a joke. Um, we actually, we, we can't not say that having said, well, Liv's probably going to be pretty flat this week in Singapore. Yeah, the PGA <laughs> Man, Tour will be flat. What's the PGA Tour putting up in lots. comparison? It's just. Well, I mean, you just got to look at last week where they had the Zurich Classic, which when it went to a team's event was. Hey, this is actually something good. They're do, they're making it just something doesn't work, happen, though, does it? But Why it was it, it was too working. much four ball, best ball, maybe. Yeah, it, but it was working to a point in terms of the fields they were getting when they had Cam and Leash go and play it, and yeah. 
you know, buy in and Leash puts on his mullet wig and they win and they do this. and Walk, on, goes, walk on music. Yeah, they go, hey, this is cool. But it still wasn't great, but it was all right. But then last week, you look at it compared to what they had going on in Live and Nick Hardy and Davis Riley are good players, but PJ Tour is not sitting there going, we got a great result for us here. Taking the week off this week too, by the way, both. John Rahm's turning up to defend, but those two, those two uh, don't have the energy to... To take their place, yeah, in the that's, field, which brings Mark Hensby one place closer to getting in the field. <laughs> but this is the thing. I mean, again, and this has been sort of my argument along the whole time that right now everyone's so up and about about it and all this sort of stuff. Golf fans are the ones who are going to lose by this going on and on and on. Mm. Fields aren't going to be as good for events that they get in their area, like Mexico, which always had you when they had that WGC down there. That was actually. Probably a shot in the arm for the WGC concept mm, yeah, because yeah. it was supported well by players. It was supported by fans. It got a lot of people there, that mm. event. And now you've got a Mexico Open that no one is there. Mm. Like, it's 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 horrible for the people down there. They'll go and watch John Rahm, of course, but outside of that, and you need that. He wins it again so that he comes back again next year. Well, that's right. <laughs> the way it sort of looks. Yeah. In, in, in contrast, though, there have these designated events have been – very good and watchable. Yeah. But doesn't um, that just tell us, Logue, that the problem with the PGA Tour and all tours is they just think that more of the same product yeah. is better? Yeah. The problem is too much golf. Too much yeah. golf, yeah. There's just too much golf. And there's yeah. too many golfers. A tighter season with less golf. Less golf, An off less season golfers. would be fantastic. Yeah. You know, yeah. It's that you – know, I think the tour here gives a good example of maybe both sides of taking something and just going, oh, it applies across. Uh, when the TPS – concept came in of men and women i was worried that it was very successful i went along and i went this is great i love this i was worried that they would just apply that formula to every event they haven't they've kept it to a number they will look to expand it but it's not the cookie cutter model building isn't it it's building as it can afford to this is the difference between live and the way the pga tour started to take that we've only playing our 12th event PGA Tour are built from guys getting in cars, driving around the country and playing golf for not a whole lot of money. TPS is built from virtually nothing to what it is now. It's it's to be applauded for that too. But then on the same tour, again, it's different organisations, but you've got the Vic Open wildly successful and it was, oh, let's take that model to the Australian Open. Now there's reasons and we've been through that a million times, but that feels like the opposite of what the TPS strategy was. And that is more in line with what other tours around the world do. It's just, oh, yeah, people like that, so let's just do it again. again. Which is what people are calling for with Live Adelaide. Oh, that was good in Australia. Let's just do it again. Um, Which they can't do. You have the Olympics every year. It's not the Olympics. Yeah, no one will watch Greco-Roman wrestling. (laughs) It's <laughs> unlike the, you can take unlike a little the bit dozens of, who tune in every four years. You can take a little bit of Greco-Roman wrestling every four years, but it just it's not mainstream enough to. Yeah, it's a real mistake. Of the triple jumper <laughs> fans are not. They, they they starve themselves on triple jump. Gillis made a really good point about this on his podcast once. He had a guy on talking about uh, where the English Premier League had kind of gone wrong, which he said, you know, they they think that these big matches, the derby matches, are like trains. If you just put more on. Yeah. You just get better results. And that's what they've missed the point of the, there's got to be some point to it. That's why there's only four majors or five in the Gillis. women's game. And, yeah, Gill, exactly. Gillis. Yeah, exactly. It's the it's the mistake that so many mm. sports have made of just, oh, well, this is really popular. Let's do it again. I mean, Tour de France is the other one. They have 
cycling events all around the world. There's people who are diehard cycling mm-hmm. fans, of course. But the Tour de France gets everyone's attention and they are suddenly become an expert on spokes and spigots and all that for two weeks. <laughs> and then they switch off. If, they, yeah. if world cycling went, let's just have another one, the two weeks away, it would lose everything it's yeah. got. Yeah. Same as if they played, it would be greater for the golf diehard if they played every week on Lynx golf courses. Mm. But the fact that they don't, Builds it up, Makes so it the Scottish Open stands out, yeah. and the Open yeah. stands out. You need to out. see some variety, and you need to see. Some I, variety. I think a lot of people feel about golf. The, the Masters is that for them? Yes, the Masters is the event that people transition in into for golf one week a year, yeah. and they go, oh, great, yeah, I'm out now, done golf, yeah, correct. I'm, that's my tour in France, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah correct. And they, and they return to it. Yeah, that's, and that's where lives fighting that thing of this model could be that couple of times a year the state of origin of just it happens a couple of times and it's great yeah but now it's well we've expanded it to all these times we're going to do it it loses a little bit so that segues nicely to what we're going to talk about with the chevron but it's just dawned on me one of the criticisms i have made of live uh is that i don't think it's actually genuinely innovative hasn't done anything really innovative. Even the party hall on the weekend is just a copy, well, of, a copy of Phoenix, Phoenix yeah. Open. So shorts and three days is not innovation. It's just fiddling around the edges. I don't even know if I'd like to see this myself, but lots and lots and lots of people have called for a live VPGA Tour Ryder Cup style mm-hmm. match. That would be innovative, would it not? Yeah, it, it would. would have the world watching. Oh, that'd Absolutely. be fantastic. Yeah. It would be amazing. Love that. Yeah. Absolutely. On, Jay, do it. Yeah. Yeah. Top 12, top six. What would you do? Top six, top 12? Nah, I'd pick 12. Because you want to pick the guys oh, yeah. that are going to start. Oh, that don't. Oh, yeah. The <laughs> scrappers. Perez in there. The scrappers. You want Perez in there big Perez time. Perez in there, that's true. Yeah. But that but would be genuine innovation. That would, doesn't mean yeah. it's the right thing to do or that it – but that would create genuine interest yeah. in yeah. the game, both within and without. Yeah. And if you're a commissioner of either tour and you're not considering or open to that, you're doing it wrong, I reckon. Yeah. And I guarantee you that Jay Monahan is not considering or open to that. It's a little bit like the, the leagues in baseball, you know, that – that's all – it's a big split yeah. for most of the year and then they come together. They've got one rule different between the two leagues. Yeah, think, one has a designated <laughs> hitter, one the pitcher hits. Yeah. <laughs> but then they come together at the end. Well, they play the they play the all-star game in the middle, which is East, uh, which is National and American League, and then they play the World Series between the two champions, which is really good. Like, But they play a little bit of interleague play during the year as well. But I think – that idea it would have literally everyone salivating yeah. over the concept. Human humans are wired for us versus them. Yeah, it, it's what and, it's and, what politicians prey on and and manipulate and yeah. exploit in humans. But if you can create a them, then you've automatically got an us. Yeah, yeah. now you've got now you've got a game. Correct. But and so much like politics. I mean, I had a lot of friends who worked in Canberra for a long time that. I'm not talking about the controversial politicians that we've got now, but the career politicians from either side who all actually got along really, yeah. really well and spent and would have dinner with each other and whatever, but get into- Run the country. Get into, <laughs> the, get into parliament stuff. and yell and scream and yeah. tell each other they're idiots. It's kind of the same with a lot of these players. Kepka spoke about the Masters and he said it kind of was a good show of what the actual truth is about a lot of us, that we still get along. Like he said, I go and practice at Medalist and Justin Thomas is there every day and Rory McIlroy is there and we play holes together or we practice next to each other. And Who wins? Yeah, well, that's right. <laughs> but then there is the ones that don't fall under that. Yeah, of course. You know, there is guys, you know, Pat Perez is a member at Silverleaf, which I'm sure a few PJ Tour players are as well, and I'm sure he still hangs out with them and whatever, but there would be guys who wouldn't want to do that with each other. Yeah. Um, you know, Rory's obviously got feelings about people, but not about other people. He and Brooks are 
apparently quite friendly. So um, it would be sort of drummed up anger and some whatever, things. but it still would get – you, you, you need some of those genuine <laughs> – like the gr- the grains of sand that cause the pearl. To yeah, form, absolutely. You know, like, yeah, <laughs> that's that's a lovely way of putting it. Yeah, that's exactly. You do I mean, it. can you imagine a pre-tournament press conference where you've got Jay Monahan and Greg Norman sitting on either side of an adjudicator? Outstanding. Like that's worth the price alone. It's like a boxing weigh-in, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, exactly. I mean, you're just waiting for someone to get up. Boxing and weigh-in. The, the, the shape the sharks in. He'd be. Like, unbelievable how good a Nick he's in. He's very really. committed to From, himself, the shark, isn't he? He was the first hole on the on the Friday, was standing off to the side of the green. He was standing on the edge of the green, and just the shoulders and the yeah. – like, oh, my it's God. A he was genetically blessed with his initial shape, and he has worked really yeah, hard yeah, to yeah. make it something special. That's always been one of the – It's always – that athlete thing he, – he, I think he was there before Agreed. anyone else. Really. Oh, maybe except Gary Player. Yeah. He's a – but uh, he's, he's always photographed magnificently from behind the shark. Yeah. He's got an incredible shape, yeah. that, that triangle from yeah, the shoulders, triangle down, shoulders to the waist. down to the waist. Yeah. Really cinched in he's thin waist and big shoulders. He's a man than you think. On yeah, TV, he's, not, he looks he, much, he's not a huge No, he's not man, very tall. No. But the shape is just yeah. perfect. Yeah. So, yeah. Congratulations on that. And let's, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't get that without working at it Absolutely. for years and years and years. Yeah. I mean, he's clearly addicted to it, so good luck to him. Let's speaking, sh- of, speaking of shape, quickly, uh, looking – Guys like Ken this Smith and stuff were looking much fitter and better <clears> than they probably did at the start of the year when a lot of them showed up at the Saudi International, maybe looking a little bit underdone, I'd say. Mm. Um, they look like they've really mm. kicked in the gear with this. It's a proper grind physically, that, the game at the top level. I mean, yeah. it's, you know, footballers work hard and when they have their off-season, golfers do too. I mean, they might yeah. not be doing the bashing into each other, but you've got to be yeah. pretty fit to to yeah. travel and play at the level they do and yeah, practice the, and everything the, else. The suggestion that they've stopped caring or working because <laughs> they've got the money is certainly not true from all the evidence I sort of saw. Um, interestingly, with those teams, as a last point, they, they all have seemed to have bought into the team concept, maybe not necessarily from winning as a team, but hanging out with their team and they play practice rounds together. And they, they played the pra- first round together. Yeah, which is I bad. Love, oh, I love that. I, I know. That, Keep it up. If you're trying to make it competition, that <laughs> removes competition integrity. What, but what do you mean? Like, because they're going to cheat? Well, I don't yeah. think that they are or think that they would, but if you're trying to have a competitive integrity... You have to have complete integrity in a game where you rule yourself. I agree with that. No, I don't know. But not an exhibition. Not gonna, you know, everybody, <laughs> most, Precisely. most club golf, everybody, like teams mark each other's card in club golf. And it's just, you know, assume not, you're not going to cheat. Yeah, you assume. Absolutely <laughs> you do. But, but hang on. No, if you're, you're playing a four ball, you play with another team that's playing in the four ball, not not just you, it's not just yeah, you and, and and all the other people. Are in. That that's the hold and scramble. There's a and that was always there's the a bit of a unique thing. Or the Oldsmobile scramble. Th- those Oldsmobile. things tend to, like almost by definition, find the <laughs> the, the those are the, wide, the people right at the edge of the bell curve who are the cheats. But yeah. the, I, um, I don't think there's any accusation of any of that. Sounded like a but no, but it, it is a visual <laughs> thing. It doesn't look great. Oh, I think it, isn't it? Didn't it create some excitement as the teams come through though? Really? Really? There was a lot of people following the Australian team. Yeah. Anyway, I, I, I tend to think that for the first round, it's harmless and actually a good entertainment. Yeah. I'm, good. Happy I'm, I'm coming from a base assumption that they're not going to cheat. Yeah, <laughs> of course. Uh, of course. But I think that the that's the thing that, like, it feels like a practice round because they all go out and play their practice rounds, which is interesting. I mean, Patrick Reed always played his practice rounds alone with headphones in. <laughs> 
And now he's going out and playing with Pat Perez, Dustin Johnson, and Peter Yulhine. Pat Perez, who has a speaker hanging off his bag playing music, and you know he's loud, and you know DJ's pretty relaxed. You know Austin kind of stands off to the back and yells out the yardage to him, and it you've kind of forced into this team thing, which used to only happen to them once a year at Ryder Cups and President's Cups. You've now got to buy into this concept and do things the way the other guys do, which is interesting. Yeah, DJ probably wears the headphones. I'll never forget DJ a few years ago played a practice round with Bryson and Phil, and he walked off after nine holes and said, if I keep playing with you, you two, I won't be able to know what club to hit anyway because they're all doing all this mathematical nonsense. And DJ's like, yeah, no, nah, you're overcomplicating. Yeah, I'm, I'm worried about Patrick Reed finding family in his teams because like I think he needs to be the loner to be good. Well, well that's, good yeah. Like, yeah. I, it just, if someone, if his team embraces him and gives him a big warm hug, then I think that's the end of him. That's what I imagine he, that's happening. He showed, he showed up at his... Uh, He's at all, his, just always wanted acceptance his whole life. At the, no. team, <laughs> at the team press conference afterwards in a pair of cowboy boots. That was something. He's, they, uh, someone, he's an enigma. There's, someone said something because he did a shoey on his last, oh, on the celebration <sighs> stage. And someone said something about, is that your first shoey? And DJ, kind of away from the microphone, and I found it genuinely funny, was like, wouldn't you call it a booty with you? And I, <laughs> and I went, what's he said that for? And I looked down at his feet, and he's got these shiny leather cowboy boots on. And I was like, that's genuinely funny. That was very, very good. Nice. Nicely done. DJ, is, I, I really enjoy covering tournaments where he's playing because he just fascinates he's me. He's sneaky, isn't he? He's con- like his press conferences and stuff. I cannot work him out. It's just <laughs> kind of the whole point. Let's uh, move across to the Chevron. Um, we've been talking about all this stuff and legacy and a lot of things we've been talking about have been to do with tradition and whatnot. Logue, it was pretty flat, it felt like. Yeah, it was. Uh, I think in our preview pod last week, we talked about how we're going to have a great event. <laughs> it was, But then what we saw on TV had no crowds or barely any crowds. Mm-hmm. Like by the time... They'd congregate around the 18th for the playoff. There was some decent numbers of people there. But uh, it looked a little better than a, a slightly elevated LPGA regular tour event. The course was boring and not up to it. It didn't this, feel like it. This was not a major venue. Like, there's a lot of debate about, is this course up to it? Forget it. It's not. It's just not. <laughs> it's, and uh, we got a great winner. Um, I was going to say, what a shame for the players. Yeah. Because, yeah. boy, do they put on a good show no matter what well, circumstances there. Interest, there was a lot, of, uh, a lot of mistakes made by almost everybody in yeah. contention at the end, which was really interesting. It was kind of unique in that sense. A lot of young players really struggling to close the deal. A lot of them will yeah. be better for it. Some of them may never recover from it, yeah. but there was some interesting so stuff. The, the no competition doubt. was interesting in the end, uh, and, and we got a fantastic winner. Um, so really happy with that. But uh, the, just everything. That, and we saw the complete erasing of Dinah Shaw's legacy as well. Like there was not even lip service given to that um, in the in the coverage or in any evidence on site. There was just, just nothing that I could see. Nothing came across at all. And what, what I expected was something a little bit more sneaky where they go, oh, yes, you know, we're honouring this great tradition started by Dinah Shaw and then have that sort of bleed away over the coming years. They've got like a six-year deal, I think, Chevron. Um, by the end of the six years, you'd expect it's like completely, no, there's who? who? Dinosaur. Um, which is one of the things that made it some something meaningful that the women wanted to win. Tradition. Because it, it was always a, a major where you think to yourself, that's not a 
fantastic major, uh, not a great golf course at Mission Hills and, uh, you know, it's got a title sponsor. For, to have one of your majors that doesn't move around be at not a great course. Uh, but the the thing that always trumped that was, no, no, the women consider that a major. Yeah. Uh, they want to win that. And this event, I think, if you if it continues like this, then it's it's in danger of they can't have it just folding. Yeah, like it just that was it was pretty bad. Hmm. Um, and is Chevron to blame? Uh, I don't know. They seemed it seemed so greedy taking it to a new city. Hmm. Like that to me is biting off more you can chew more than you can chew as a sponsor. Like making that demand that we've got to bring it to our home city, and then what did you bring to it by bringing it to your home city? In fairness, I'm not, like, not sure how that unfolded. I think there were issues around there Mission was Hills issues around Mission Hills hosting if the date changed, which right. it had yeah. to do, and but bring it to a better golf course or make it a major that moves around or something. Just this selfish, this greediness of like we're paying all this money, we're increasing the prize purse to something that's comparable to the other majors now. In return, we want it in Houston. It's like okay. Be a good sponsor and like make sure that it's going to be a success in Houston. Start by picking a better golf course. Uh, I don't. Maybe there is no better choice in Houston, but yeah, it it's, was. It's a there was a lot that didn't work about that. its tournament identity was that it stayed in one place, right? Because the PGA, the women's KPMG women's PGA moves around. The US Women's Open moves around. The Open ALG so, Women's Open is over there, and then you've got the Evian, which is in France, which is its thing. So it has to be the one I think that stays put somewhere. But it's then a battle of is it about the golf course or about whatever? And I'd I'd be interested in the players' perspective who played last week and say, would you prefer this to be at a better golf course and play for less money, or do you want to play for more money at wherever Chevron tell you? Well, we've got a mixed bag of answers there, depending on how much money players have already made, Correct. and whether in their correct yeah. in their uh, in their career. And, and also, it's a course that looked like every other LPGA week, so yeah. they probably would, on balance, they'd just go. All things being equal, yeah, this course is fine. It's such a it's such a tricky tour to make these decisions, you know, because they go to these really good golf courses now, and they get such good praise from certain people like us who say, this how cool is this? At Wilshire, yeah. yeah, that's right. How cool is this and whatever. But I wonder how much of an uptick generally that is for the tour and that event compared to if they were to just play it at the standard. Oh, KPM, KPMG Women's yeah, 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 like benefited enormously from yeah. bringing it to good courses. Absolutely. And Pebble Beach this year for the US Open is going to be huge. Yeah. Right, that's Again, you can't have that every week. I'm not sure that you necessarily need to have a straight line between a better golf course and everything else about it being yeah. getting an uptick either. If you play on better golf course and i think there was an element of this about live last week play on better golf courses that produce better golf yeah particularly from better golfers and the product itself is just more interesting because the golf course is more interesting now you can get all the world's best players on a terrible golf course and they'll play interesting golf because they're great players crooked cat put them on a yeah exactly (laughs) put them on a good golf course or a great golf course you get great golf absolutely and that's kind of the the point of it, and and that also does give it sort of some prestige and whatnot. I said this a lot the other day. Uh, to me, that the mistake that the LPGA has made is that the Founders Tournament, which they started not that long ago, I love it. Played on an awful this, golf this course is, in the desert for ages. They started playing it on good golf courses the last couple of years since the pandemic. Mm. It should have major status. It it's should. got proper claims Absolutely. to be yep. a major. There was an opportunity. Perhaps there was an opportunity to do something with this. Bring bring the two together exactly. Yep. Yeah, and yeah, because like there's a founders aspect to both of them, really. That's right. And yeah, bring it together. It can. It's a way of still honouring Dinah Shaw. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. And who's kind of a quasi founder in yep. a way. Yep. Really did a lot to promote the correct. Game and, yeah. yeah. 
I agree completely with that. that. It's that, just so that works so well because the Evian will probably drop off. I think in the end, like if it can't, like it's it's one or two weak sponsorship years away from like in terms of money from maybe getting demoted. Um, uh, they spent a fair bit more money last year, and I think they'll just keep. They've they, just kept pumping it up. They've got a schedule to spend more and more. I think I remember from last year an announcement. But anyway, at least if we could get that, that what you've just described, Rob, would be. It makes sense, doesn't it? It ticks all the boxes. Really strong major. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think, um, yeah, the LPJ Tour is one of the unique things in golf that pays really good homage agreed. to their founders, yeah, which it doesn't. No other tour has that. No, agreed. Um, and to give that strength would be amazing, and the players buy into it. The players, when when a founder shows up at an event, yep. every player goes over and shakes their hand when they're sitting by the 18th green or whatever, and. It gets emotional talking about these women who started their tour. Um, to tie to tap into that with this event would be the smartest thing ever. I mean, it's just a reality that these tournaments are going to have to be named for sponsors at this stage. Yeah. At this, you'd stage. like to it get just, to a point where you didn't have to. But I, I think that's the way that every golf tournament has it will move moving forward because we're not going to go back. They're not. They're not growing their own stature unless they're at the Masters, really, to have you know enough power to not need you know, someone else to help pay pay the bills and and then want naming rights. But um, you can still call it you know, the Founders Championship presented by Chevron or something like that. But whether Chevron's still keen to spend that money is questionable. At the moment, the Founders doesn't get the recognition it deserves. Nothing like nothing it. Like it. it no. Nothing like yeah. it. So, like, I think the criticism you could say of, of that concept is that it's um, uh, sort of diminishing what, you know, players have achieved over the years and the ANA and the Nabisco and everything of, like, it's like, no, no, they're still major victories. Um, but there's this fantastic tournament over here which deserves more attention. And th- this make, one... Look, it would make more sense than when they added the Evian. Yeah, yeah, it would They've, make more sense. The LPGA Tour has shown an ability to adapt and, you know, mm. work around it. The Women's Open wasn't a major until... Uh, 2001 or yeah. something like that. So, yeah. you know, there's Kaz, people... Kazlan missed out. Yeah. yeah, Karen won the tournament, yeah. but it's not considered a major win. Because <laughs> so. they lost another major in the Jim Warrior. Yeah, correct. Did Kari even miss out on one? Yeah, I think hers. Kari yeah, won, she won, won yeah. one or two before it was... Before yeah. they were. And she, yeah. she also won the Evian. Yeah, that's before right. Before it was a major. So she's got the <laughs> oh, grand wow. slam of... Yeah, yeah. Sort of yeah, they, they've shown an ability to adapt and go like, no, this is now this. And so they don't – I think the problem for the LPGA feels like to me from the outside, they don't hold um, equal power in the negotiations the way the PGA Tour probably mm. do. And that's a real problem. The PGA Tour doesn't hold the equal LPGA power, it would, holds more. Yeah, they probably listen to everything that we're saying. And yes, we'd love to, we'd love to, we'd love to. Yeah. The commercial reality is that we just don't have the influence to be able to sell. I don't know what the answer to that is. But um, just to your point about the founders, there, you're right, Jimmy. You see the you know, the players going and approaching the founders whenever they're at one of the things. We used to see the same thing with Byron Nelson and Arnold Palmer. Correct. It drops off pretty quickly once <laughs> – yeah. Once they once they're no longer with us, the Byron Nelson field changed dramatically Correct. in the three years after Byron passed. Yeah. <laughs> so you need to build those things now. Yeah, that's right. Those founders. That's are. right. And um I think Kari's very has always been very strong. Kari we had on the show last week. She's actually really strong on that and has always paid great respect to that. And so she's a link between the founders and because she's got great respect within the yeah. LPGA as well. Yeah. But those things fall away pretty quickly. Yeah, they do. Absolutely, yeah. 
Just on the golf, though, uh, Lilia Vu oh, is a major champion now. Fabulous. Great golfer. Great story. Yeah. Great golf swing. A lot of great golf. Women's golf is fantastic to watch. Oh, isn't that it? Is so seriously strong. good yeah. golf. Yeah. We had Angel Ayla, Yin's a great, pl- Angel, great player to Angel watch. Angel Yin, world number 172, yeah, I think, really at the top of the, the tournament. Really <laughs> fell off the map after over a couple of years. He played a Solheim Cup and then just went... Completely one, one while still a schoolgirl on the ladies European tour, yeah, and, and was a sensation with her driving length early on as well. And everybody who comes into contact with her just thinks she's wonderful. And yep. she was carrying a Founders two iron the very first time I met her at the Vic Open a few years ago. Oh. I mean, called Clates over and said, "Look at this," and he said, "Every player should have to have one of them." But I had it, which is great. But yeah, Doesn't sound like Clates at all. Founders Club two iron in nice. the bag, which was just you know, she played an amazing chip shot with a. With a five wood, she stood in the bunker and the ball was up here. It was amazing stuff. Anyway, yeah. so great character. Uh, Aileen Aile Kim's really good bobbing up yep. ahead of him. What a yep. golf swing. Fantastic golf swing. Um, Nelly Quarter, you know, sort of back, back door third. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't Kari pick it, though? Yeah. yeah. If she doesn't hold putts early, she'll still be there somewhere she at the end. Too. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. But she, and she and Kari extra. was amazing about it. She said about Minji, I, sh- I don't know that she's playing. She's got a lot going on, and I don't know that she's going to really contend. Sure enough, Minji came out and showed patches, mm-hmm. but then just no, not not quite there. Just come, mm. Yeah, really last round played scores. good and went close to it. You know, in the end, and be the best Australian. But it was not the tournament you expect. Almost, Almost as if Kari knows what she's talking about. Can we get her on playing from the tips? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> weekly tipping segment. Uh, she. Uh, yeah, would she do that every week? Yeah, none of the really big names were there, which is unusual for the LPJ. Normally, yeah. you can pick three of Some the surprising top ten who will be there. Cut misses were surprising, and just the, you know, the lack of contenders. Jin Young Ko was never – NG Chun was never really in it. Had the hole in one on Saturday, but yep. it was just too, just a few too many shots back, and there was no charging on Sunday, Yeah, which no. is probably part of the mistake they made. The Masters gets this right every year. The first three days of the Masters were a real grind. Yeah. The real excitement that we all remember comes on Sunday when they just, you know, they take the foot off the pedal and go, right, have at it, yep. make some numbers. Whether the course lends itself to that, I'm not sure. But had they done that, we'd probably remember this differently. If somebody yeah. had made some sort of a move in the morning. A- Amy Yang just- bobbed ahead briefly. I was really hoping for a yin so and yang <laughs> playoff. That would have been <laughs> <laughs> sensational. That's the, I think that's the beauty of, of the Masters being at the same golf course yeah, every year. Right. We all remember the whole, sure. But they have it worked out to a T how to make it exciting because the golf course is the key element. And when you go into a new golf course, and I don't know, but if the LPJ has their staff who came and set up the Chevron, the golf course at Carlton Woods, or if Carlton Woods set it up, they're kind of guessing because they don't know. It's an unknown factor as to – they have an idea. So, in fairness, it might be better next year. We might be being too harsh on it. They might have learned a bunch of stuff from this year that they'll improve next year. And I hope so because the players in the tournament deserves better. Because, I mean, on, on the opposite side with the Grange last week, they actually set it up probably the way you would want it to be a little bit where it built. And then on the last day, there was more runs. 30s. But Taylor Gooch had just played ridiculous golf for the first two days to get to the point he was in. But I think, yeah, the golf course setup would probably improve year on year to try and tweak it. But they also had weather problems. I mean, it poured with rain at mm, Chevron on the wet. second that re- night. That, night sorry. that does hurt the LPGA too because the players tend not to be a game of carry as much. And so if you're Correct. a carried a long way to be having decent chances hitting the greens, that really makes yeah, it Yeah. And on a big property like that, it's, you know, it, it, it is yeah. that bigger effect. And it was, it was a big houses? property, but the houses were really visible. Yeah. And yeah. It was, it just did not pop. It was all shady as well. Yeah. Like the, the woods were, it was just, everything green. looked flat and shady and it was it is pretty flat, I think. It just didn't pop on TV. No, it was. It yeah. just looked 
plain as you could imagine. It's a plain and it was, golf course. Because of the way the property is and because of the way the water and stuff, you can't get many crowds no, near right. to points. And it around. looks really awkward. Um, it's, yeah, it's... Far too many shots of the last few groups with literally no nobody one. watching. Yeah. yeah. That's just... Can't, you can't have that at yeah. major. Well, you shouldn't. That just... Well, and that's become the social media measure that people love to post in this age of, our oh, tournament was a bludger, look how few people were there or look how many people were there. Understandably so, that's how they do it. But to have that as a major and what was going on on the other side of the world is, that's a, that's a tough Quite scene better. sort of thing. It was bizarro world. It really yeah, was there bizarro was, yeah. world. Was yeah. like, this is just, uh, just yeah. insane. I, just a couple of players I want to mention. Ataya Titikun um, really put a hand up. and I, I She's a genuine Still star. so young. and That's it. Like That's the top, thing you struggle to. to yeah. First real scar, Jimmy, for Ataya? There's a pretty, there's a pretty I poor it's a shot. I think to, it's a to it's dump a, in the water at a pretty critical time. Was I, th- I think a player like that uses that as a lesson. To, I hope so. Yeah. Yeah, you'd hope so, and hope so. you'd think so. But from all of my interactions with the young players from places like Thailand and stuff, I can never quite get a read. Um, they're built different to just play golf in a different way. You know, I, I, women's amateur Asia Pacific last year, there was a couple of the Thai players who really blew a chance to win the thing at home um, and then suddenly started playing LPJ Tour events, playing really well, and won one. So you go, okay, I don't understand. But, you know, she's she's at, at that another level. But I, I, it just feels like it's a point in the career. At that point, she would have been thinking to herself, this is a could. Yeah. I could win this. Yeah. They all rode on a shot that should be fairly straightforward. Yeah. A foolish wedge into a... Yeah, that's a that's a, that'll be a first for her. Yeah, she'll have made mistakes in the past, but but she's at a different point in her career now. She's Correct. at a point where she that she should have hit that green. That's at that's worst. that's a, she's at a point now where she hits that shot and she wins. It's not a oh she's won a major so early. It's like yeah that that fits. That's she's world number five has been for about two years. Yeah, I mean, she, yeah, seriously. and so and a winner too, like oh, a absolutely. genuine winner. That's so right. gets it done. Um, yeah, I'm sure it'll hurt and whatever, but um, I think Logue's right. It'll be more of a learning. But yeah, I the think first so. one you could think, oh gee, that might go in the memory bank. As, <laughs> as but that, that's with every player who's been very good, who's had those things. You know, I'm sure the early missteps that Phil made at majors, everyone went. He'll learn from that. It took him a long, long time to win <laughs> one. A long, long, long lot of lessons to get to the point where he'd you know done enough. So. You mentioned a couple of players, others. Um, there was that uh, the player who laid up on eighteen. <laughs> Albon Valens, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, what was, what that, was about? that about? Did yeah. she just not know? I mean, she essentially said with that tee shot, "I am not going to try to win this tournament. Yeah. I'm going to try to not win this tournament." That's just I don't I didn't understand. That. There has to have been a communication breakdown there. She could not have known what position she was in, even if. The caddy had said to her, "No, no, I think we should." He, she because it was her dad. She would have said, "No, no, we're going to try and win the tournament." Exactly. And yeah. Even after the three wood off the tee, get three wood out again and just hit it into the grandstand. Yeah. Did you see where the drop zone is? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was even I could have chipped yeah. it from there. <laughs> that was outrageous. The drop zone was like it's outrageous to that flag. You could place it and putt it from that yeah. drop zone. It, it was literally like just give them, just put it on the edge of the green. Yeah. Whereas middle back, there was actually a little tongue of rough there, which would have made a perfectly good drop zone to penalise players who've flown it into a grandstand. But yeah, why wouldn't she take three wood on the second at least? Like, I, and just I, try I and understand any of blast it. Neither the commentators. They were trying to be kind, but yeah. there was just, that was inexplicable. Yeah. D- just, yeah, disappointing to see um, from a quality player. You d- don't know how many chances you're going to get. 
in majors. That was just inexplicable. One of the great US amateur finals with Gabby Ruffles too. Yes. A few years ago. Were there not enough leaderboards out there? I just don't get it. That was one of the great mysteries. Um, Can't have not known. She has to It's just not possible. Yeah. Yeah. Even if you said you didn't want to know, somebody's going to say to you, oh, you got a chance here. Yeah, a caddy. <laughs> can can a, you imagine coming really. in if you did not know and someone being like, you, do you know what just happened on the last hole there and where you was? And, oh, no. Yeah. You, you couldn't have that happen. No, Amazing. So, anyway. um, a, a professional caddy, if she'd said she didn't want to know, a professional caddy would have been asking someone from the TV or whatever to know where they stand, coming down yeah. the last and say, no, I think we should hit this shot without even telling her That's where exactly they right. stand. And if you have to, you would have eventually said, then, listen, exactly. I'm if telling you, convers- we're hitting this shot because. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> this is why. And Aileen Kim was in the same situation, took driver and was six iron in her hand for a second. Um, and she, <laughs> and she almost nearly it. a six iron in her hand yeah. for a third. Well, no, she it was, a, it was one of the she rare, like, perfect layup shanks. <laughs> a, yeah. Like, it was a, a good shank. Layup. Opened up quality the green. Shank. Yeah. yeah great cool. angle into the green yeah, from where absolutely. she was. It was How yeah, do you hit good neck shot? Oh. She even <laughs> put it to a good number. That's you don't. Awful. You can't. <laughs> you walk off the course. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Andy McCarty, keep the check. I'm going home <laughs> to just be by myself. That is awful. <laughs> you, take, you take putter and try and run it up the front. Oh. Um, but also, uh, you know, I, just back to Angel Yin for a sec, um, she made a bit of a mistake on 15 where she pushed it in the right rough and that was sort of a crack and she made bogey. But then there was that bizarre bogey she made on 17, the par three. Shot, yeah. yeah. Um, but the, tea sh- the decision off the tee. The tee shot was just. It was like, it's very rare in professional golf to see a player literally making a bad decision in the process of making such an overtly bad decision where she's Everyone looking see it. like everyone's going what are you doing way too far right and then club down as well yeah it was it was just like yeah it's going to end up in the right you right could s- you saw the switch go for her yeah. her face went red you could see the pressure and it just suddenly sort of dwindled. She's had a pretty emotional ride in the game. Yes. All golfers have, all professional golfers, but she had a tough couple of years. She was the phenom and really laid back, relaxed sort of kid from California, sort of thrown into the spotlight and really had trouble finding herself. She's never played to her ability level. No. Not even close. She's an extraordinary talent. I mean, she's a Mickelson type, you know. Yes. She'll bob up four times a year and play unbelievable golf and then it'll yeah. be not great for the rest of it. But And I think she just found herself in a moment and she – She'll probably learn from it. I think she's probably in a good place to learn from that because she's had a tough ride. I think she'll be a better player. I, my reason for raising some of those things is because uh, from a viewing point of view, you could tell as a spectator what was at stake on all of those yeah. shots. It was and the best part about that, it was exactly actually watching that. Yeah. Uh, a compliment to the course. In yeah. like just to throw it a little thing, the eighteenth is a bit a bit silly with the trees and stuff. But uh, once you knew it. You could say, oh, okay, I know what's at stake. On this the is on. That's yeah, right. This can be done. Uh, th- that's always just worth considering. It's, it's why the golf course matters is because yeah. it's why the Masters is so good because you know what's at stake on every shot. Like we're just, it's nuts how much we know about, you know, where you've got to land the ball on the ninth at Augusta and, and <laughs> how it's going to run out. Ironically for the Masters, the, the, the two really exciting key swing holes, 13 and 15, come well before the end. And, in fact, you could make the case it's fairly bland, the 17th, and the 18th is fairly bland as well. Yeah. Now it's this crazy narrow tee shot. But we know it so well. We know all of the little nuances yeah. and angles. And you know when they've missed it. Yeah. You know when they're in the row. Oh, you don't want to be there. You don't want to be and there. You, and you, you know, know over what, the back of 17. what faces them. That's right. Yeah. Like and that, they know. They've and been they watching know, and that's the thing. So like it, it's a. It's something I'd like to see more in coverage is uh, expert commentary coming in explaining the strategy of golf holes, even at a you know Jack Nicholas signature course at Carlton Woods. 
um, just so you can know what's at stake with shots because it sets up shots and it makes the viewing experience so much more interesting because I think the, it made that tournament pretty memorable when for me the in US that Open. final nine holes, seeing those mistakes, knowing what was at stake. Yeah. When Fox had the US Open, they had Gil Hands on there doing the, yeah. with uh, Holly Saunders. Yeah. They were fantastic and they dropped them in at the right times yeah. and their coverage of the US and Open hence, was yeah. pretty spoke good. really well. Yeah, yeah. It, th- I think that's one of the things with what's going on with golf at the moment is commentary has been dissipated across the various things so we've lost a lot of the quality I mean I said to someone last week we were talking about the live coverage and I said it's a shame Jerry Foltz did such a good job on course at the LPJ he now sits in a booth and is not suited to it and Don Boulay who used to be the Asian tours kind of you know Anchor man, he's so one note. He's yeah, on course stuff. But he's he's, thing. he's now on course for, and it's, that's not his what, role. Switch them. doesn't make sense. And switch then, them. and then they did. They had, from what I saw briefly, I think they had a whole strategy thing, but with Troy Mullins maybe playing the hole. And it's like, well, she's not really the one that should be giving the strategy of how this is going to play. DJ's going to play how this DJ's hole. How DJ's going to play this hole. And it kind of – and she's not actually a, really a regular part of the commentary team. She gets dropped. So, so of the team, though, she's a really good golfer. Absolutely. So, so Sue Ann Heng. But it makes sense. Like, it, it kind of just – it didn't – the way they were cut, I suppose, maybe didn't uh, – the best, the best people I've seen do those things is caddies. Right. A caddy taking you through with a yardage book, how this yep. hole is going to play, is fascinating. Yep. Well, Bones has been such a good commentator, as has John Wood. John Wood, exactly. Fabulous commentator. Because a player will tell you how they're going to play it and whatever, and a, a Colt Nose does a great job of that sort of stuff. But a caddy saying, this is why you would want your player hitting this shot to this thing. They're not going to say, based off club and whatever, which a player has as their own experience, they're going to say, you know, you want to try and get them down to this point, which is this yardage yeah, and whatever. And point. caddies are uh, fascinating people to talk to about pressure and stuff because they observe it up close. Of, well, they feel it too. Yeah, that's Bones, right. Am I remembering this? Bones was in the booth for the uh, Anwar? I think he was, wasn't he? Yeah, he was. Yeah, yeah. that was outstanding. Our, our oh, like, that just, could you? Yeah. <laughs> How many times yeah. have you it, been? Well, it was so good you felt like you might have – why isn't why am I paying for this? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was so like, – You kind of are. That's really how we ended, up at, that's how we ended up at, J- at Carlton Woods. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so you are paying you for it. You are paying for it. Dear idea. Let's let us finish it on that note. Uh, Jimmy, thank you, mate. Interesting experience. Good to uh, get your thoughts from direct there on the grain. It certainly was interesting. Um, you know, see what happens with it and be interested to go to maybe some of the other events around the world and see the differences too. Notably, you asked last week when I was down there uh, before about the media dining. There was a media dining room, but it was just the same cold sandwiches in a fridge every day. Really? It didn't. They didn't step it up after. There was the an appointed round. breakfast and lunchtime, but breakfast was just cereal in some bowls or toast, and then lunch was just sandwiches. So lacking innovation. What sort of sandwiches? The the uh, usual fare like chicken, chicken, and, chicken and chicken and lettuce. Oh, like standard uh, Australian ham sandwiches and cheese, ham cheese tomato. Oh, yeah, yeah uh, okay. there was eggplant wrap. There was gas station sandwiches. Yep. Yeah. Gas station. Sorry, I've just we've got an American. Yeah, you know, contingent to our audience. Yeah, and like muffins in a Servo. plastic bag. But Pengas and I had a muffin each morning for breakfast. It was yeah, quite civilized. Um, what of instant coffee? Cake, cake and coffee at three p.m. No, well they had the muffins or a brownie there in a bag, but no. Really, you didn't have a cake option. Oh, but no, no, the mid afternoon cake. There option. was a mid afternoon option. Yeah, Hague's chocolates that are South Australian, I think. 
I yeah. think Hague is South Australian. Heard of it. Each day down the back of the media center, I only saw it the second day, they had like glass containers of all Hague's chocolates. Like there was some chocolate oh, sultanas, yeah. freckles, and a big square block of chocolate that you'd get a chisel and a hammer and bang it out and take your, your piece out. Who's there. eating sandwiches what under are you those conditions? About? Yeah. It's not lunch. Mm. Need to eat lunch. It it is for the fifty four holes of the live tournament. D- did were you? Did you have inside the ropes access no. as well? You didn't know anybody. How did, uh, how some did people that? did, and uh, some people had multiple passes handed out to their organisation, but we didn't get one. Really? How yeah. did, how did that go? How did you find that with the crowds? Impossible. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So there was inside the ropes for certain people with photographers and I think a lot of their social media sort of style coverage that they get with cameras. Do they allow that? Uh, No, not live stuff, but there was was an email about what you couldn't couldn't film and then there was people filming. I don't really know. But no, there was inside the ropes access for some, not for us. Um, I didn't particularly straightforward ask, but I did have a conversation about saying it's very difficult to get around out there. Um, And look, it it was okay to try and write probably a lot of the stories I was planning on writing about the atmosphere and stuff to actually be in the crowd and get yep. a bit of a sense of it. There was a lot of people there, so I think they were concerned about people being in the way. And the assumption would be if you've got a swag of media there covering the event that they'd all go and follow Cam's group and that's where all the fans would be and they'd all get in the way and yep. whatever. I understand it. It was very much like a PJ Tour event where certain people get inside the ropes, others don't. Um, but to write a genuine – this was the thing that I kind of was like, oh, well, of the people here, I'm probably the one who's going to write the genuine golf stories more often than not about how it plays out. Because there wasn't much dedicated golf media there. No, there wasn't. But being inside the ropes, you need that. to If you're writing, you know, a, a yarn about the two guys who play in the last day, you want to see the shots they hit. You want to get an idea of the yardages. That's why you want it. It's not just because you think you're important. You want to actually be able to see the shots and follow the groups easier. Um, I was like that. But then I thought, this is part of the problem that if it's about the golf, wouldn't you give the golf people more of the access than other people? But that kind of wasn't there. So um, it did make it a little bit difficult to try and write a genuine golf yarn. Mm. And it probably makes more people sit in the media centre. Would have made me, yeah, a little bit reticent about going out because it's just yeah. a bit of an ordeal just to even get from hole to hole, isn't it? Well, it was, it, was, it was roped up the wazoo, the whole place, because, you know, they had all these access points. And because they're playing across two different courses, there's crossover points and... It was very difficult to get around at times, um, for sure. I mean, to get over to the party hole, the 12th hole, was quite a difficult thing to navigate each time, and then you could get stuck out the back, and there's you know, crosswalks, but you've got to wait and all that sort of stuff. So it was yeah, difficult sort of navigation. Yeah. Yeah. No Larry Canning had no his crooked cap. No crooked the, cap. Yeah. No crooked cap. Thanks, Jimmy. Thank Thanks, you. Logue. Thanks, Rod. Most enjoyable. Episode 142. Good, good. In the books. Back again to do it all again next week. <laughs>